Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm an android. Sure, we'll go with that. Uh, but we are going to be talking a little bit more about uh, some of the raid content and sort of how they fit into the larger scope of lore in, in the games of Blizzard. And particularly World of Warcraft, and we're going to be starting today with Onyxia's Lair and Blackwing Lair, which were uh, the next raid content uh, after Molten Core during the classic days. So we can go ahead and get started with Onyxia's Lair, uh, the raid in which we are tasked with going into taking out well, Anixia, the titular dragon there, daughter of Deathwing, sister to uh, Nefarian. So, and also I think she was responsible for a lot of really awful things that happened uh, while she was trying to, you know, control the human race and kingdom of, of Stormwind. So where, where do you think we should start with Anixia? What do you think is the most interesting tidbit or, or biggest point we should bring up first? Nixia is the daughter of Deathwing and his prime consort, who is Syntharia. You might remember Syntharia from the Cataclysm Bastion of Twilight raid, where she was the, the... I don't think Mythic existed yet, I think it was called Heroic, but she was the Heroic-only boss at the end of, of Bastion of Twilight. When we first meet Anixia, she's done what her father and brother like to do, and taken a human form. Uh, specifically, she's calling herself Katrana Prester. And she's a, a noble in Stormwind. If you know anything about Deathwing, you know that he off, he took the form of a nobleman named Davel Prester, um, and that was the the means by which he attempted to take control of of Ultarak and become a a power in the um, at the time Alliance of Lordaeron. He was manipulating the people of of Azeroth to his advantage, as he as he often does. Uh, when Anixia came to Stormwind, however, it was actually part of a larger plan that Deathwing had entrusted her and her brother with. He wanted them to take control of, of Blackrock Mountain. Uh, we talked about Blackrock Mountain last last time, uh, about the how the dwarves were forced by uh, Ragnaros to create the Molten Core, how the, the mountain fastness of the Blackrock Depths, and, and all the other, pretty much every raid and dungeon in Blackrock Mountain was created by the dwarves while they were enslaved by Ragnaros. The dragons were told by Deathwing to seize control of the mountain. Uh, why he told them to do that is never really particularly clear, because technically speaking, Deathwing and Ragnaros served the same masters. Uh, Ragnaros, being the Fire Lord, was one of the four elemental lords who was controlled by the old gods. Um, and as a result of that, you'll notice a lot of old god worshippers are, sh are shaman. They have they summon elementals. They they work with elementals. Uh, Deathwing, for his part, was also working for the old gods. Uh, so it's interesting that they spent this much time fighting with Ragnaros's followers to seize control of the mountain. Uh, but they they did manage to seize control of, of a lot of it. Pretty much the entire upper portion of the mountain, everything you know north of of Blackrock Depths, was in their control, uh, including the upper and lower Blackrock Spire, which was a massive city of its own. Uh, if you ever, I don't know if you've run these these dungeons. It's been a long time since since they've been in their original form. If you've run them in WoW Classic, though, you might have noticed this. They're they're a massive city on their own. That's what they were they're, meant to be. They were meant to be representative of the the civilization that the places were built into, right? 
Yeah, the dwarf the dwarven city is there, and you you basically when you are going through lower and upper Black Rock Spire, especially lower Black Rock Spire, you are winding your way up uh, to Wormthalak, who is in the he's basically at near the top of it, uh, right across from the other boss, uh, and I'm not remembering his name, but there's Wormthalak was a drac was one of the draconian types, the big. Uh, four-legged dragon types and uh the other boss whose name is completely escaping me at the moment i apologize was the other one uh and they were basically kind of across from each other but you couldn't get directly from one to the other because of the way the dungeon was laid out that's that's the place that that deathwing entrusted to his children to secure nefarian was directly controlling blackrock spire and blackwing lair anixia is decided to go with a slightly different tack. She wasn't leading any of the uh, the uh, effort to seize control of the mountain. She was keeping the alliance from getting involved. Uh, her, pr- her presence in Stormwind was basically t- to take advantage of the chaos she'd caused. Um, when, she ca- when she came to Stormwind as Katrana Prester, the first thing she did was manipulate Varian Rin into going on a basically an effort to make peace with the Horde. She got him to agree to go to a summit and then she had him kidnapped by the Defias Brotherhood and brought him to a mountain, not a mountain, an island off the coast of, of what there was then Theramore and the, uh, where's that swamp? I can't remember the name of the swamp that, that Nefarian's in. Uh, Duskwallow Marsh? Duskwallow Marsh. Yeah. There's a, a mount, there's an island off the coast. I keep wanting to say mountain. God. There's an island right off the coast of, of Duskwallow Marsh. Uh, if, again, if you go there in Wild Classic, it's loaded with Naga. But Anixia was planning on, on sacrificing she was going to literally split Varian in half, kill the part of him that was like, like you know, Feral indomitable. Like, yeah, the, because Varian, you know, Varian was a civilized, cultured person, but he'd been trained to fight from a very young age because the orcs attacked Stormwind and burned it to the ground and killed his father. And you know, he was he was entrusted to uh, Anduin Lothar, who was the most powerful human warrior ever. And Lothar trained him and had made sure he was trained because as far as Lothar knew, Varian would have to fight for his rule. Like he had no idea how long this fight was going to take. He didn't know that they'd beat the horde in like a few years. And what's he was looking at what happened. I was oh, say, go ahead. What's interesting about that too, is like, this is not the first time that she's meddled in like anything having to do with the Rins either. Like Anixia was the one that manipulated the conflict between the stonemasons and the nobles. Wait, 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 wait. That- you're going way ahead here. You okay, can't just go skip. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, basically, so Varian grows up, is trained, comes back to Stormwind. They start rebuilding it. Uh, he meets Tiffin Alaria, who is uh, daughter of the House of Nobles. She's one of the noble families of Stormwind. They they originally marry just so he can secure his power. But over time, they, they actually form a real relationship. And this was a problem for Anixia as she comes to Stormwind and she's like, okay, this king is a problem. He's very strong-willed. He's really smart. His wife is smart. It's going to be very difficult for me to manipulate these people if they're all here. And Joe just mentioned, you want to talk about the stonemasons now? Now you can talk about it. Right. So during the rebuilding of uh, Stormwind, there was this whole thing where, like, of course, you needed the stonemasons guild the to essentially rebuild Stormwind. It's a entire city made out of rock and stone and mortar. Uh, so what wound up happening is uh, Anixia sort of 
made it so that situation deteriorated between the House of Nobles, who were going to, quote-unquote, pay uh, for what was going to be done to rebuild Stormwind and the Stonemasons Guild. And what wound up happening is because of that breakdown, because of that, essentially, um, they they essentially just weren't paid for their work, that's where the Defias Brotherhood wound up becoming uh, sort of born from. Edwin Van Cleef was the leader of that guild. He was the one that was in charge of the Stonemasons Guild. And during, I believe it was the, there was like a riot that occurred where they were demanding yep. payment for their their work, their service, uh, rebuilding Stormwind, essentially from the ground up, that essentially in that conflict, in that riot, a stone was thrown that essentially took out uh, Tiffin Red killed her by essentially either concussing her or the details are a little, um, it's, it, I think, I think it's just described as a stone hit her head and she died. Um, I'm probably being a little bit more shallow or pedantic about it, but yeah, there it is. But yeah, it was one of the things, as much as I have problems with the, the wow, the wow comic, there's a really good panel where you see the stone hit her in the head. And trust me, if a, an actual stone hit you in the head, Oh, like it hurts. Um, but there's in the background was Varian's going. <gasps> he's horrified. But in the background, you see Katrana looking extremely pleased with herself. Mm -hmm. And the implication is that she guided the stone because she's a powerful magic user in addition to being a dragon. She can do that kind of thing. Um, but uh, one of the things that's really oh, by the way, I found out that the name of the other guy is Dracosath, General Dracosath. Sorry, I couldn't remember it. Um, when she did this, Varian went off his rocker. He, he was like he spent several years in a depressive state. Which was great for her, because the first thing she did was have the House of Lo of the House of Nobles essentially declare the Stonemasons uh, criminal organization and drive them out of Stormwind without paying them. Which this created her needs. It, yeah, it suited her needs, and it also created an incredible like she now there was all these people had a huge grudge against Stormwind, and that served her purposes because she wanted to destabilize the whole kingdom. Um, so she ba she dri basically in one fell swoop she drives. Uh, Westfall into chaos because that's where the Stonemasons fled, and they they seized hold of an old mine, uh, the Dead Mines, which had actually been used by the Horde mm -hmm. uh, in the in the original invasion. The Horde actually kept Anduin Lothar in the Dead Mines, so this place was already a pretty much bad news, and now it was a stronghold of, of people who were like straight up against the kingdom because the kingdom had treated them so poorly. Varian was in no condition to do anything about it. Uh, mentally, he had effectively checked out. Um, it took him like a couple years to, to come back from it. And she managed to get uh, the Drakefire amulet on Varian's friend and the guy who was essentially trying to lead the kingdom in his absence, Bolvar Fordragon. By putting that dra that amulet on him, she now had control of him. Mm -hmm. he, I don't. It wasn't as, as straightforward as just making him do what she wanted. She could control how he was thinking and feeling. Subtle, like, subtle pushes, which you know yeah, should be no, could, no uh, surprise if you're used to some of the other things we've talked about in the past. But yeah, subtle it pushes. It was mu much less. She wasn't puppeting him. She would just like control how he felt and thought about things. So things were going swimmingly for Olenixia. She was, you know, perfectly happy. But then Varian started coming out of it and reasserting himself, and this was a problem. Uh, for one thing, Varian had a grudge against the House of Nobles now. Because his wife had been killed in a in an uprising that, that they, they caused, yeah, yeah. So he now he was annoyed about that, and also, like I said, Varian was like he lived he he'd gone through some really 
horrible things in his life. He watched his father get killed right in front of him. He watched his city burn. He spent a couple of years living like in, in Lordaeron, where he basically trained continuously to fight. Uh, he was not his father. He was not malleable. So, again, she came up with this plan. She got uh, she made, basically reached out to, uh, of all people, Jaina Proudmore and was like, let's try to get this peace summit thing happening. Jaina was only only too happy because that's something she wanted. But Anixia manipulated the Defias and helped kidnap him, which the Defias Brotherhood are the stonemasons that she got exiled in the first place. So she created the criminal organization that she then manipulated to abduct Ivarian, you know. Well, didn't this she? Was all well, and wasn't that wasn't that two attempts too? Like, didn't the first attempt fail, and then like she orchestrated the second attempt around the peace I, summit? I mean, she might have just tried to have him killed. I don't remember if she actually tried to have him abducted. Yep. Second time she had him abducted because she was like, "If I just kill you, then it'll be a problematic." Uh, for one thing, that you know, I'll then have to really control Bolvar. Right now, I'm only kind of manipulating him, but I'll have to straight up mind control that guy, and that'll be a problem because he's strong-willed too. And then I'll have to probably get him killed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to split you into two people and kill the part of you that's annoying to me, the part that has its own mind and thinks for itself and won't do what I want. I'm going to kill that part, and the part of you that's glib and charming and a good politician, I'll keep that part around because that part's fine. I'm, I'm totally okay with that half of well, you. Well, because I can that, probably manipulate that part, clearly. Yeah, that part, I, yeah, yeah, that part won't be a problem. So she, she goes to do this, but the Naga come up because they're like, I don't know what you're doing here, but we don't like it. This is our area. You're not don't allowed to just come uh, along and be a black dragon here. Alcaz Island, by the way. Thank you. And so they attack, and in the confusion, uh, the willful variant gets away. And cue the events of the World of Warcraft comic book. Uh, when that happens, uh, they, the Anixia allows the Defias to just keep the other variant because it's like, yeah. She's like, maybe I can come up with a use for it. And then she's like, well, he still does what I want. I can totally just release. I'll have him released. I'll, I'll get Stormwind to beggar itself, paying a ridiculously huge ransom. To, to get him released, and then I'll just install him as king, and it'll be like my plan was anyway. Who cares that I didn't get to murder the other one? I mean, he's probably dead. The Naga aren't nice people. Or he's going to sure. get himself killed because he's all, he's all that aggression that, you know, was a problem in the first place. He's just going to go pick a fight with something bigger than him and lose, clearly. Well, and so he kind of does because he picks a fight with, like, the entire gladiatorial combat arena of the Horde. Um, but, you know, he actually comes through that because he's He's about as orc-like as a human can be at this point. Uh, it's it's actually kind of funny because when they created this storyline, one of the things they said was they wanted kind of the anti-thrall because thrall was a very is a human-raised orc who understood human cultures and mores and so forth. And Varian, this Varian was a very savage and primal human, which I think is was, interesting because of the name that they that that version of Varian chose as well. Yeah, um, Lagosh, the Ghost Wolf. But we'll, we'll get back to that. That's not really the story of Anixia. So anyway, she, so she's she has Varian brought back to, to, to Stormwind, but it takes a long time. And in-game, the events play out slightly differently. So we're going to talk about the in-game stuff, and the comic stuff we'll, we'll talk about later. But do you want to talk about this, or you want me to do it? Please go ahead. In-game, you, your character, the, the, the Alliance characters, Horde characters don't get to do all of this, and that's... It's, they have a different quest line that's not as cool, in my opinion. I would agree. So, sometimes the Horde quests are better, but this time it's not as cool. In the uh, the Alliance version, you find out that the Dark Iron Dwarves have captured a human soldier named uh, Marshall Windsor. And you're like, well, he actually held Iron Foe at one point. 
and mm-hmm. he's you know he's important. We need to go back into the into the uh, Black Rock depths and and free him. And you do, and he is the worst escort quest in history. I would agree. It's just absolutely horrible. But if you manage to, to keep him alive, probably because you're like a you know at this point you're a Blackwing Lair raiding warrior and you're geared to the teeth and you can manage to hold off 75 billion mobs that he aggro's. Uh, you, you eventually find out that, you know, he was investigating the strange things going on in the Alliance hierarchy. And that's why he came to Blackrock Mountain, because he had heard that there was a strange connection between the, the weird human lord who seemed to be in charge of the place and Catrana Prester. And by helping him, you eventually put together, okay, the Catrana Prester is not to be trusted. There's something really bad going on here. And so Marshall Windsor leads you to Stormwind and like... You actually hear Bolvar giving orders that you and, and Windsor and everybody involved get arrested at the gate, but Windsor is like knows everybody in the in the Alliance military, and, and they'll like, stand down, right? They're like, yeah, I can't, I can't try to get this, I can't arrest Marshal Windsor. That's just not going to work. So he leads you to the, to the castle, and when you get to the castle, uh, you you basically reveal like Windsor has a device that he uses to reveal that Anixia is. There, that Katrana Prester is not Katrana Prester; and, that she's Anixia. And basically, originally, it, it didn't it didn't work this way, but eventually they fixed it so that when he does it, she turns into Anixia right there in the mm-hmm, throne room. Mm-hmm. And so this, she's not revealed. When he sees this, Bolvar is like, "Okay, you've been messing with my head. There's no way, you know that." And so he he rips the Drake Fire Amulet off and. Anixia basically unleashes the forces of the Black Dragonflight right into the throne room and, and teleports out. She's just like, well, fine, I'll leave. Well, it's not even that they, she unleashes them, too. And I thought this was a really cool scene because I, I was playing Alliance back during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the guards that surrounded the room, like, drop a human guise and they turn into the four-legged drakekin of the Black Dragonflight. And it was this, I remember because it was this interesting moment because that showed you how deep and how... Uh, in grain, she had made herself, especially with trusted, uh, I guess children would be the, the best way to really describe the relationship, uh, of these, these Draconoids that had been, that, that are loyal to the Black Dragonflight, loyal to her, uh, that had been taking up these, these Kingsguard positions, essentially, inside of the sure. throne room. It's, it's possible, like, one of the things about those people, we know that they're formerly humans or formerly other mortals that have been changed by the magic of the Dragonflight. So if you ever see any of them, any of the dragons, the big red ones that you see outside the uh, Ruby Sanctum, when you go to the, the, to the, to the Caverns of Time, you see the big copper-colored ones, the bronze Dragonflight ones. Those, those used to be mortals, and they've embraced the Dragonflight and become those things. So that's what she might have done. We don't know how how those guards ended up being like that. Did she subvert them? Did she have them replaced? We don't know. But we know that they're there. They start attacking. Uh, If you ever did this quest solo, basically you stand back and you let Bolvar fight them. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, even then you could possibly still die. Like, I remember doing this as a hunter and having to feign death to survive through it because otherwise I would just get targeted and die. Or you waited till somebody else was doing the quest with you because it was one of the few things in WoW that uh, could happen as a world event uh, at the time. You could just be there. In fact, the first time I saw it, I was level 52. Mm-hmm. And I was just there. I was. I was. I was, don't know what I was doing in the castle. I, I. I. know I was there for a reason. I think it might have been to get the quest. Order must be restored. And 
someone triggered it, and suddenly there's Anixia, and suddenly everybody's, you know, I'm like, ah, why am I, why am I here? Why do I have to be here now? So yeah, but, so Bolvar helps fight off the uh, invasion, but Windsor dies. Yeah, like, he pays, Anixia, he pays for it with his life. Yeah, Anixia is like, well, you dared to do that, so yeah, I'm getting you, and she just takes him out. His last, like, breath is to, to tell uh, Bolvar, you know, you've got to stop her. And so, in the comics, this all still happens, except Varian Rin is with Windsor, and he's the one that, you know, he confronts his other self, and both of them are, like, they're both not down with Venixia. You know, even though the other one's glib and charming and not really like him at all, they're both angry at Venixia for what she did. This leads to that whole thing where he gets merged back into one person, but mm -hmm. that's not for the purposes of this. The player character has to go to Anixia's lair. Well, yeah, because we have to exact revenge, right? Like, so at yeah. this point, she escapes the throne room, goes back to her lair, and that's where she's holed up, which is in, uh, why can't I think of the name now? Oh, oh the zone. Thank you. And it's not too far away from Theramore at this point, which was very, very fascinating because her lair, which was, in retrospect, sort of like super villainy obvious, but was What's just a big giant dragon face. The big giant there? dragon face that was surrounded by black dragons flying around it, go, or drakes, go figure. Uh, was that close to Theramore where Jaina decided to set up shop? Uh, where the, the where the uh, conference was going to happen, the one that Varian was trying to get to when he got kidnapped in the first place. Mm -hmm. So she basically it was like just a hop skip to get to Alcaz Island from where she was where her lair was. And the interesting thing about her lair is it wasn't just like a hidey hole or a place where, you know, she could retreat. It was a brood spawning ground for Anixia. Because, again, this is this is during a time when dragons in game had a very clear, for lack of a better term, um, delineation on what they do. <laughs> uh, and the female dragons at the time, they sort of watched over clutches. Uh, and that's what Anixia's Lair is. That's why there's a whole section of that fight that summons Whelplanes to attack you. Because if you go into her main room, yeah, it's it's got the, the craggy molten area of where the earth is sort of uh, cracking open and the magma and heat of the deep places is filtering into it, which is very, very Black Dragon flighty. Uh, but each side of it is just areas chock full of Black Dragonflight eggs, which I always thought was fascinating that she would hole up there and wait uh as that 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 was her fallback position because it just sort of fitted her fit her mentality pretty well she didn't actually care about them it was they were just tools to be used in the encounter not even clear that you know anixia has taken the role of broodmother at this point um her mother obviously would have been broodmother before her but Thanks to attempting to be, you know, Deathwing attempted to mate with her after he started turning to a lava emitting abomination, and he rendered her completely incapable. Uh, so, you know, if you ever are turned by the old gods into a seething lava monstrosity, don't try to have kids. Done work. All of the kids that Deathwing has are from before that. Mm -hmm. um, once, once the old gods began corrupting him, he attempted to force Syntharia to, to bear him more children, and the result was she was no longer capable. So, you know. For all that, you know, Syntharia herself was evil. That still was a real dick move. De Neltharian's part. I can't say Deathwing for a second. That was weird. <laughs> but when you get to the, you know, when, when you finally go to the raid, and keep in mind, at the time, this was a 40-player raid. Uh, you and your small army come to Anixia's lair. 
you have to clear a lot of dragonkin out of the way. She's got a lot of them, and they're very powerful. At the time, when, when this raid was active, uh, people were going into this raid without any molten core gear trying to do this, and these guys would wreck you. I mean, nowadays you go in, you kill everybody, it's like, it takes you five minutes. But at the time, this was a pretty significant encounter. Uh, one of the other things in the area around her, there's another drake uh, in a cavern, and that drake is necessary to create the Seal of Ascension, which we're going to be talking about in a bit. So keep this in mind. The Horde quest for the Seal of Ascension is far superior to the Alliance quest for it. It's sort of like while the Horde had, the Alliance had the really good Anixia stuff, uh, the, the Blackwing Lair stuff is more towards the Horde. You go to, you go to, to Anixia's Lair, you go in, you fight your way through all these Dragonkin, and then you, as Joe just described it, basically you fight Anixia while she's using her own clutch as a weapon against you. Um, when we kill her, uh, when, when, when she dies, uh, her head is removed and brought back to Stormwind, where it's hung from the... Or, I, I think in lore it's Stormwind, but I, I mean... In, if you kill, in lore, it's... Horde, yeah, she, Stormwind gets Anixia's head in lore, Nefarian's head goes to... to uh, the Horde, I think. But, you know, if you're Horde players and you kill Anixia, you, you take her head back to, to you know, Orgrimmar, where... Um, I think it's uh, it's actually Sorfang. Yep. Uh, Sorfang, like, hangs it up. But at any rate, you kill her, you take her head, you, you put it there... And this is basically the culmination of that, of, of that storyline where the Alliance has been being misled and used this whole time. But it also points out the, the menace of the Black Dragonflight, that they're actually far stronger and more entrenched than anybody realized. And the other problem for, the, for, for both the Alliance and the Horde, but especially the Horde, is that the Black Dragonflight have conquered the Blacktooth Grin clan, also known as the Blackrock clan. And they're kind of actually the Blacktooth are like a, an elite clan within the Blacktooth clan. But you mm-hmm. know, the important thing is the the children of of Blackhand are in charge of the Blackhand of the Blackrock clan. Especially since Mame dies, Dalrend Blackhand is now the war chief of the Dark Horde, as he calls it. And the Dark Horde is basically just the Blackrock, but they're a big clan. They were once the most powerful clan in the Horde. They're a big clan. He's a significant rival. That he he straight up says, "I'm going to come kill the thrall, and I'm going to take over this horde. Uh, we're going to get rid of all these non-orcs, but all the orcs are going to come join us, and we're going to conquer this place like we're supposed to." Uh, do you want to talk about the horde part, or do you want me to go? Keep keep, going? Please keep going. All right. So Dalrend, he's he's a strong, powerful, very skilled blade master. Not the smartest orc because he was raised from adulthood very quickly. Um, the, the, the warlocks of the whole horde actually used warlock magic to age all of Blackrock's children that they were all like very young. Uh, Griselda, Rand, and Mame were all very young and they used warlock magic to essentially drain life out of them until their age to adulthood. So they, these are actually like when you fight, fight Rand, he's physically been an adult, like since the, the, the first and second war, but that's only been but a few me- years. And mentally, he's not. I mean, it's been like four years since the third war ended when you first meet him. And keep in mind, the third war ended, I'd, I'd say, about like eight years after the, the first and second. It's, I mean, long enough for stuff to get rebuilt. I, I have to go look it up. It might be longer. But the point being, he's been fighting since he was like five years old. And at this point, he when you encounter him, he's an old, white-haired, like old yeah. warrior orc. Yeah, he's been he's been in, doing this for a long time, and it's actually really surprising, but. Victor, Lord Victor Nefarious uh, just shows up one day in Blackrock Mountain and physically dominates Rend Blackhand. Mm-hmm. 
which is the first sign this guy is not who he pretends to be. And the thing about about Nef- about uh, Nefarian is he was doing the human thing, pretending to be a human nobleman thing with Deathwing. When Deathwing became Lord Davil Prester, he served as one of Davil Prester's aides in the Victor Nefarian role. And Victor Nefarious, my apologies. And when he takes over Black Rock Mountain, he keeps that role. And his his goal while he's taking over the mountain is to to actually bring to fruition one of his father's cherished dreams. His father wanted to create a dragonflight that had the powers and abilities of all the dragonflights. The chromatic he wanted, flights, right? Yeah, he, yeah. He wanted to do that by basically taking Ysera and uh, doing very Alex, thin, th- very not, questionable. Yeah, but Alexstrasza. both Ysera and Alexstrasza, yeah. and possibly the consorts of the other two to do things that we shouldn't yeah. really go into the, too much detail about. You can the same thing. Kind of the same out. thing he did to Syntharia. Yep. Essentially, he wanted to like mate with all of them. He even he says petty slaves for mating, and obviously that that wasn't working. But Nefarian was like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to go and actually get the the dragon aspects. I'm not a maniac. I know that I can't do that. Well, I am a maniac, but I'm not that kind of. But I can get their whelps, and then I can do horrible experiments with their blood. And so that's what he was doing on top of of Black Rock Mountain that whole time. That's what he turned Blackwing Lair. Which he my Blackwing Lair was essentially. Both Blackwing Lair and the Blackwing Black uh, Black Rock Descent, Blackwing Descent, I think it's called. Both of those areas were basically like this was the the high holy area of the of the Dark Iron Dwarves before the, the the dragons conquered it. This was where their kings went to be buried. Like when when they had a, a, a noble die, when their kings died, they buried them up there. And so he he took that and completely besmirched it and turned it into an abattoir where the drakes and and whelps of the other dragon flights were taken to be tortured and bled of all their magical essence, and then their actual blood, and it was used in horrible experiments, which actually succeeded to a degree. And one of the things Nefarian did once he got Rend on board by basically saying, look, I'm a giant dragon and I will effing kill you if you don't do what I tell you, but if you do what I tell you, you will get to be the most powerful orc on Azeroth. And Rend was like, okay, I'm down with that. They gave him Gith. Gith was the first successful chromatic dragon to be, to survive past whelpdom. Mm-hmm. And they cheated. They aged him up using much the same kind of magic that they used on Rend originally. But it worked. They, but it worked, and he didn't blow up, and he didn't die. And so, Gith was the future. Gith was the, the, the dragon that, if they could make more like this, then Gith could go and, you know, have a brood of his own, and the chromatic dragon flight would be a real, actual thing. Not just some crazy thing that that Death Deathwing wanted, and so in a way, Nefarian actually did what his father hadn't been able to up to this point. He made chromatic dragons. Um, the only downside but, was is that, it, uh, and this is something that you find up during one of the encounters in in uh, Upper Black Rock Spire. Um, Gith, while stable, wasn't as large as a true dragon. So, despite well, he being aged up, Drake. Yeah, but he was just a Drake. Too. Exactly. He wasn't. He wasn't a full dragon yet. He hadn't aged that. They hadn't aged him up that far. Because mm-hmm. keep in mind, dragons take a long time to grow up. Like, I mean, to give you an idea, um, everybody's favorite current black dragon. Uh, why can I not remember his name? He's Anduin's boyfriend. <laughs> what is his name? Wraith- Rathion. <laughs> Rathion. Thank you. Rathion is still a whelp. Yeah. Rathion. Even is- when he transforms, he's still a whelp. Yeah, he is a little dragon. It will be a long time before he even hits Drake stage, much less full, you know, it takes hundreds of years for them to reach that stage. So when 
when this is all going on, when Nefarian is has got the he's got the orcs under his control now, he's he's got his laboratory of evil. His sister gets taken out, and he's like, okay. One of the things that we kill Anixia for is her skin, mm-hmm. because black dragons are are immune to the shadow flame that other black dragons produce when they use their breath weapon. Uh, and so he's like, oh, he's aware of this problem, and he's like, okay, they're going to come in. At the same time, we have to talk about Black Rock Spire here because General Dracosath controls the orb that is used to keep people in and out of of Black Rock Blackwing Lair. In order to get through, you have to kill General Dracosath in Upper Black Rock Spire. This requires the Seal of Ascension that you had to go to Anixia's lair and the area around it to get. When you do, you're, you're, you find out that the the strange orc who has been assisting you, uh, named Vale, is in fact a, bla- a red dragon. Velastraz. Yep. Yeah. And he's there on orders from Anixia, from not Anixia, sorry, Alex, from Alexstrasza to figure out what the black dragons are doing. Why are they are they taking whelps? What's going on? What are these experiments? I need to know. And the orb was and, the orb of draconic energy, by the way. I just thank, thank yeah. you. And when when you go in, you kill Dracosath, you get that orb. You you brand your hand with it so you can get into Blackwing. And when you get there, the first fight's just a real pain in the butt. Um, but it's not it's not particularly raid important. Basically, you use another dragon orb to control. Um, I can never remember his name. Either. Ember Strike. Ember Strife. No, not okay. Ember Strife. Yep. Uh, and you, you go and use him to to kill the eggs. Uh, there's a whole room oh, full no, of. Oh no, no! You're dragon. talking about the you're talking about uh, the the first boss in Blackwing. Yes. Apologies. Uh, God, why can't I think of his name? I just did him. Yeah, I know. I I do him every, like like almost once a week, and I can't remember his name. But you you mind control him. You use him to destroy the eggs. Uh, but you get past him, and you find out. Valestraz decided I'm going to go take on Nefarian because I'm I'm the son of of Alexstrasza, so you know I'm probably I'm, we're 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 basically equals. I can take him. Razorgore the Untamed. That's Razorgore. Yeah, that's the first. Sorry, but we go in and we find out that Valestraz decided to take on Nefarian directly, and it didn't work out too well for him because whilst he is you know he is a big powerful dragon, um, Nefarian cheats. Yep. <laughs> you know, and so. There's Veilstraz, and he's basically been corrupted by the Shadow Flame. And Nefarian leaves and basically forces Veilstraz to fight you, and you have to kill your ally. Um, so yeah, that's one of the children of Alexstrasza dead. That'll that'll be a trend. Um, and you basically then march your way through Brood, Broodlord and Vashlayer, uh, through the three drakes. There are three black dragon drakes that are flying through uh, Blackwing Lair that are patrolling it. You have to fight your way through them. You have to fight your way through. All the various servants um, that that Deathwing, uh, Deathwing and Black and Nefarian have got. There's tons of orcs. There's tons of casters. There's lots of people who have joined this effort because, you know, Deathwing is persuasive. Nefarian's also persuasive, and there's power to be had. You fight your way through all of these th- these forces, including a lot of goblins. Remember, goblins serve Deathwing. Quite a lot of goblins are, oh, yeah. are served. You fight your way through all of this. You get up there, and then you find out that they're not just doing the chromatic experiments on dragons, because they've taken one of the elemental, uh, the core hounds from Molten Core, like the ones. Because remember, the dragons have the beast; they stole it from the forces of Ragnaros. The, the beast is the big father core hound. Yeah, the one that you that's, fight in Upper Black Rock Spire. That's canonically the father of all of all core hounds. And so they've been using his whelps with their experiments and they've infused one with, with chromatic dragon essence. You have to fight that thing, which is 
astonishingly painful. You fight your way through that, and then you're in Nefarian's lair, for lack of a better word. You are the top of the, of the mountain. You're actually atop the mountain. You can go, you're not in it anymore. Like, you can look out. You're on, like, like, a giant terrace, basically, and you can see the whole area to the left of you is just open, and there's that, you know, there's the world. It, it's a know. grand throne room, basically, essentially, sitting on top of the uh, largest peak in a very lar- large uh, footprint that overlooks uh, very easily everything to the, the human lands and everything to the dwarven lands, because it can see past those mountain ranges. Uh, it is a perfect vantage point. It's probably one of the reasons that, that Deathwing sent them to take the mountain. Yeah, oh, yeah. From, from that mountain, you can now, both Ironforge and Stormwind are within striking distance. You, you now have, you have a perfect base to harass both of them. There's a reason that in the Second War, the Alliance fought the Horde all the way to Blackrock Mountain. Because it was a great staging area. It was a great bastion. Um, even after they won, they didn't manage to defeat all the Orcs. The Orcs went into the mountain, and they couldn't get them out. And they were just like, you know, F it, let them stay in the mountain if they want to be in there well, so bad. Think of, it, think of it this way, right? So you as a player, when you're going through these these dungeons and raids, you have a very clear linear path that you're following. But again, look to the other areas. And, and this is one thing that I think that they, they did very, very well with environmental storytelling in classic Vanilla WoW is everything felt bigger than it was because you were in tearing a path through a city. And one of the things about Black Rock Mountain, and it just upper Black Rock Spire, lower Black Rock Spire, Blackwing Lair, and to uh, Blackwing Descent, not so much, but we'll talk about that in a, a, later on. Pot, we'll mention it a little bit in a few here. Um, but they were labyrinthine in their construction. They and even go ahead. Uh, I, I want to just jump off what you were saying. Not only were they labyrinth, he's absolutely right. They were labyrinthine construction, but they were nestled inside of each other. Yeah. Like, Upper and Lower Black Rock Spire, they were separate dungeons, but they weren't really. They were physically connected, and you could do both of them in one run. They were both behind the same instance portal. Like, you'd zone into Black Rock Spire. You could go to Lower, or you mm-hmm. could go to Upper, but they were physically the same location. If you had the time and the interest and the group that willing to do it, you could clear the whole freaking place. If you had the key, too, because there was yeah. you had to, you yeah, had to get you the had key to, to the, get Upper. Yeah, the Seal of Ascension was necessary to go into Upper Black Rock Spire, but it still was the same instance portal. So, and not only that, the instance original instance portal to Blackwing Lair was inside Black Rock Spire. Yes, you had. When to- you got past Rend Blackhand, you could go down a hallway, and you there's there was an entrance. You could zone into Blackwing Lair from there. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah. there was a quest that led you through it at that point to, to introduce you to that as a, a that it existed. I can't yep. remember the name of the quest off the top of my head, but you basically... I think it's the one where you killed Dracosath. Yeah, I think it you was. Had to go, you had to go kill Dracosath and brand your hand, and then you would go, you would physically backtrack, and you would go through that portal, and you'd be inside the lair. And then you'd leave, because I can't do this by myself. Sorry, I need mm-hmm. 39 other people. Uh, but one of the things that like, you know, we're trying to get this across, and I don't know that we're doing it because it's just so hard to really understand, is when you were doing Lower Black Rock Spire, you'd get to certain places, and you'd look around you, and the inside of the mountain had been hollowed out by the dwarves. And you could look across and realize, over there, and there's no direct path, I'd have to backtrack a lot, but over there, from Wormthalak, you could see, you just leave Wormthalak's chamber, and you'd go a little bit, and you could see, oh, over there is where Dracosath is. Over there, like I, I can physically see all the other stuff, but it's just it's just it's not 
from here I need to go back and do this to get there. That's the kind of thing that they did throughout. Black Blackrock Descent has a ton of this. Um, these places are massive, and they felt massive. While you were doing them, you know, while you were doing Upper Blackrock Spire, you felt like you were invading this orc city uh, full of these, like, you know, these really savage orcs who were, like, making deals with black dragons it felt like that's what you were doing the rend fight in particular uh death with nefarians in that fight like he's he doesn't actually fight you but he shows up um there's a ton of of the story is told there you get to see blackhand and geth fighting you you end up killing geth and and blackhand if you're horde you had a direct quest to go there because of blackhand's claim on the the war chief position if you're alliance it's just like just you know just go kill him he's we don't like him go kill him but yeah, when you get to the Nefarian fight, you want to talk about the Nefarian fight, or you want me to do it? I, I've been talking a lot. So the, so the Nefarian fight is is a multi phase fight, which which first opens up with you running into the room, uh, going up to the throne room where he's still sitting in human form, uh, and he just does not care. You talk with him. He and honestly, I think this is one of the most uh, fascinating and and probably coolest things about again environmental storytelling is that. The encounter doesn't start until you talk to him and say, let's go. He doesn't care that you're there. He has no qualms that you are basically traipsing through uh, his stronghold at this point because you are not a concern, at least not yet. And this is one of those things where if you got to this fight and you could do all of this fight uh, or all this this raid up to him without having one key item, uh, the, I think it was the, the, I can't remember what the actual name of it was, but it, you made the it, black dragon cloak, the black dragon right. cloak that you made out of Anixia's skin because it, it kept, might be the Anixia scale cloak. Let me look that I up. I think it now. might be Anixia scale cloak. I think that is actually it. But if you didn't have that, when you kicked off the encounter, the first thing he did was kill you. <laughs> like you could not get any further because of the shadow flame. Yeah, I mean, it was useful for others, too. There were other dragons that use Shadow Flame. Uh, the three drakes that you fight use it, but... You could heal through one, those. The, you could heal through everybody except Nefarian. It is the Anixia Scale Cloak. Yeah, it was an instant um, kill mechanic. Yeah, so you basically had to kill Anixia, like... I forget how much scale she dropped. She dropped enough scales that you could make, like, three or four cloaks per kill. Yeah, something like that. I think she dropped, like... I think she dropped... I want to say it was, like, 50 scales or something like that. It was enough. It was enough to do like two and a half. Well, you needed one scale just to make the cloak. I don't know if that's still the case, though. I don't know if they changed it over time. But I remember we would kill her, and we'd make two or three cloaks a kill. And we were actually—I remember my guild at one point split up into two twenty mans to fight her because you needed and to farm cloaks. Yeah, you—you you were like we were at the point where we were like we'd been doing Anixia and Molten Core for months, but we still hadn't killed Nefarian because it was just that time-consuming to get all these cloaks made, and they were necessary. You couldn't kill him mm -hmm. without the cloaks. Um, what's really cool about the fight, though, is when, you, when you're doing it, especially if you were, like, a tank, is there were two doorways that led further into the mountain, and years later that would be revealed that Blackwing Descent was on the other side of those doorways. Was one of them. We don't know about the other one. The other one yeah. was never explored because it was collapsed later on. Yeah. But as you're fighting, he summons... Uh, draconids and they just swarm through these things but and not various just, guilds i was gonna say but not just draconids of the black dragon flight they were 
all of the colors. And that was really important because it fit in with everything that we had been talking about up to this point, which is he had been experimenting and trying to take control of all of these different dragon flights and their colors and and trying to make that chromatic flight. These are the failed experiments of trying to combine the other flights DNA into whatever the was the humans or mortals or whatever he was he was messing with. And so so that's what you're fighting from both doorways is just an endless stream of them. And then the thing is, you have to basically fight them and kill them. And one of the fun things about this fight, which I think really does reflect the lore of it, how lore can be told through encounter mechanics, which is really fascinating, is you had to get them grouped up. Yep. You, it was a bad idea to just take them in the doorways. like Because you want to do that. You think this is the way to do it, is keep them here in the doorways so they can't get out into the raid, they can't be a problem. And that makes a lot of sense, and you'll get through several phases of the fight. But the end of the fight, after he's doing his class calls, which are hilarious, uh, he's doing all the various things he does. At the point where you actually think, "Oh, we're going to get him down. We're, we've got him. Like, you know, we got him." In well, execute we do, range. You know what? I think we should actually talk about the class calls a little bit because I think it does play into just how nef- like nefarious was in general. Okay, so go for it. If you if you aren't familiar with it and you didn't do it, or maybe you did it later when they weren't such a big deal. The idea was part of this encounter, which really fit with the storytelling for the character and the zone and everything else about this character of why Nefarian was so powerful, is the idea of the class calls. Now, what the class calls would do is that there would be this phase where he would call out specific classes, and I think it was like two or three classes at a time, and something would happen that would be a fundamental corruption of something core to your class. If it was, if you were a shaman, you would drop corrupted totems that I believed buffed him to high heaven. Uh, if you were a hunter, your bow would snap or your ranged weapon would break, uh, which you couldn't do anything with uh, any of your ranged abilities at that point. And then you would have to be the joke of a melee hunter that was in classic. Wow. Um, I forgot warriors. I think it put you in a berserker stance. Yeah, if you're, especially if you were tanking, it was a real problem. If you were a DPS warrior, you didn't care. But if you were a, a tanking warrior and he put you in zerk stance, A, you just lost threat generation because threat generation is tied to D stance at the time. And it reset the table too, didn't it? Uh, I don't think it reset the table, but I think, like I said, you just lost threat generation and you took more damage. Zerker stance, you took like 10% more damage. This was not a fight where you could handle taking 10% more damage. Mm-hmm. Dealers were going out of mana just trying to keep tanks up as it was because he put like the Shadow Flame debuff on them, and even with the cloak, it would stack and get horrible. And then there's the Priest Call. The Priest Call is the most fiendish call ever devised. The Priest well, Call... Well, the Paladin Call, he bubbles. He has the Paladin bubble him. Yeah, the priest. So he's immune to all damage. The priest call. Tell, tell him the priest call. I was gonna say the pre- the priest one was a little bit weird because at this point, um, priests were necessary for this fight because uh, if you were a, I believe it was dwarven priests on the alliance side in particular, yeah, priest, yep. you had fear ward as one of your uh, racial abilities, and you needed that on the tank because every. 30 seconds i want to say uh every 30 seconds he would cast an a like a a bellowing roar which was an aoe fear and if the tank uh got feared that would completely wreck the entire encounter and that was the only way around it fear resets 
if you tank his yeah. fear, that resets the, the threat right there. But for Priest, he would scream out, Priest, if you're going to keep healing like that, we might as well make it a little more interesting. I will always remember it because it just sent a shiver down my spine because it was dangerous AF. Priest must stop healing immediately once the call starts and has to wait for the call to end because any direct spells will apply corrupted healing and that would basically be it would deal damage to whoever you were trying to heal instead of actually healing them and priests at this point were one of the primary healers they were yeah everybody else healed kind of healed in their shadow because they were sort of like the warrior tanks of healing yeah like like Paladins were were like a, a again paladins and shaman were a hybrid class, so they would be doing things like trying to deal damage while also healing. They weren't just pure healers. Druids, I, I'm sorry, druids, but back then your healing was a joke. You were basically yeah, they, kept druids, in the. They were for invite. You, innovate. you were there for innervate, and if we could get you out of combat so that you could battle res, because battle res wasn't a thing. You would just basically regular res, because your res was the quickest out of every one of them available. Like um, they would like go cat form stealth away, try to get out of combat. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, they did also have hots. They did. And each each healer class had something good they did besides. Like paladins were really good single target. Like if you needed somebody to keep the tank up and nobody but the tank, you'd put a pally on. But it was also pally. Could could do that. Pallies were another class that also they were buff bots, and they were expected to go out and battle res things too because pallies could guarantee they'd fall out of combat. But the other thing that was um, uh, the other thing important about this is going back to the class calls. Druids class calls. Uh, he would force druids to shapeshift into cat. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't sound so bad if you're a feral player, but I want you to think about this: if all of your talents are spent in balance, or all of them are spent in uh, guardian or almost nowadays guardian, were, but it was feral back of, then. Yeah, at the time, almost all druids were resto. Yep, and if they were in raid group, they were in resto. And then at that point. You can't heal anymore. You now I'm, have to go in DPS, which now means you're in melee range, which means you're in fear range, which means you are in death range until the until the debuff actually wears off. This was an ingenious, ingenious encounter, especially for the time. It highlighted how deep Nefarian could actually influence the minds of those around him. Because it's one of those things like we joke about, oh, mustache twirling villains in World of Warcraft. Nefarian could legitimately back that up. Like, he was not just some joke of a villain that just had some illusions of grandeur. No. It was, he had the ability and hardened, seasoned adventurers who had killed his sister, who had been traipsing across Azeroth, fighting all of these different monstrosities and high-level things that were just unheard of at this time. And don't forget, when this was released, he was the highest raid content. No, he can still get in your head and mess with you while yeah. fighting you. With This is why he didn't care when you showed up in his room. He was just like, yeah, whatever, take your time. Go ahead and prep. You want to have a... a, a, a eight hour rest before we go and do this. That's fine. Go right ahead. No big deal because he could do stuff like that. And I, for my money, I don't think any other boss encounter has ever had that level of integrated environmental storytelling that Nefarian did in Blackwing Lair. I'd be willing to say that you get a lot of it in uh, AQ, but that's a different raid to talk about. Yeah. I will say that the Nefarian fight though, the Nefarian fight, 
it's hard to know. Like WoW Classic, people cleared it really fast. And so it's hard to really get the sense of what it was like at the time. But at the time, nobody had WoWhead really. I don't even know if WoWhead existed yet. It might have. It was Thoughtbot. Thoughtbot and Alkazam. Thoughtbot and Alkazam. They existed, but they didn't have like the really in depth. Like you couldn't go and look up all the mechanics. Nobody was putting like like videos. YouTube had just started like like that year. Yep, YouTube and and Google Video. Yeah, nobody was putting up their kills videos. You you had no idea how anyone else did it. You had to do this through trial and error. And this fight, I remember when my guild got hit, mm-hmm. and I was I was tanking. I I wasn't main tanking him. We had a, a there was one warrior in our guild who was a dedicated prot warrior. All the other warriors were DPS and one. Um, in fact, because at least two of the drakes had mechanics where they would heal if they hit somebody who had a debuff on them. You wanted a lot of warriors so you could taunt trade him. Yep. You had he's to. hitting that guy, he's going to get healed. So you'd have a bunch of warriors taunting to try him off, and then those warriors would have mortal strike to debuff his healing. So you'd have a bunch of warriors mortal striking him to keep him debuffed and taunting him around so he wasn't hitting the guy that would heal him to hit. But so we get into that fight, and the tank dies and gets battle rest and dies again because it's just, it is a brutal fight. And at one point, I'm the only warrior left. So I. I hit my, you know, I hit my macro, shield goes on, I go to D stance, I taunt him, and I'm holding him, and I'm just blowing my cooldowns. I'm just doing, hitting every cooldown I've got, uh, trying to stay alive. I hit retaliation, I hit shield wall, I'm just like, please, just die, you big perp. And that's when he does the, the thing that we didn't know about. We had been killing those those ads. Remember the beginning of the fight? We talked about the ads that come swarming in. Yeah, We'd their corpses are still there, by the way, at this point. And nobody really paid attention to it. The, the corpses didn't disappear like other corpses did anywhere no, they, else. They're just there. And so he goes, He, I don't remember what he says, but he says something. And suddenly they all get up as skeletons. And they come screaming for the raid. And obviously, at this point, your healers have been healing like mad. Mm-hmm. At this point, just... you're out of mana. Like you are. This is this is the end of the fight. You are scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're hoping that your DPS is still in one in, in decent shape. Your your hunters. Now is the time to use your potions, guys. Yep. Because we, yeah, we're tapped. Yep. Like it it was it was absolutely brutal. But then all of these bone constructs start coming up and and these all look like um Rattlegore uh in in Skullamance to a, a certain degree more draken in their their appearance but they are bone constructs and I'll let you finish telling your version of the, your 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 particular story this happens and we don't have anybody left to tank it and the reason we got the nefarian kill with that fight on that encounter is because we had two hunters that had had the foresight to put down those those big explosion fire traps. Yeah, you could layer your traps back then, so you could frost trap and explosive trap on top of each other. Yeah, and those things went off, and all the, the skeletons went streaming for the hunters, and the hunters just ran away. It was just cheetah time and run, and they just ran around the room. Disengage, cheetah, run, yep. Yeah, I don't think disengage existed yet. No, disengage existed from the very beginning. The, did it, the one that made you go backwards? Yep. Okay. I well, used to whatever that. they did, whatever they did, they were like running all over the place, just trying like and, and like just auto attacking and putting their pets on Nefarian. Like just just he's their target. They're targeting Nefarian. They're not targeting the skeletons. They're just running from the skeletons, and they're just trying to hit buttons while running away, while and screaming at the healers away. not to heal unless absolutely necessary, so that healing aggro doesn't go off and peel the bone constructs off. Yeah, because they're not doing anything to them, and. 
So they're doing that. I I go down to like literally ten health, and the priest class call goes out, <laughs> and my healer is a priest, and he's like, "F it," and just bomb heals me, knowing this will kill me, but it won't kill me right now. I will have about thirty seconds because my health will go up, and then like the dot will start ticking. So I have ten health, get bomb healed. I've got the corrupted healing debuff, and he dies. And you've never heard human beings make the sound that my guild made when he died. Like, it has never been topped for me in World of Warcraft. No other encounter has ever done this. And it, again, it's part of the storytelling of that raid. That raid, that's that's the thing, it's very hard to talk about when doing a lore show, is how the lore is sometimes just in the encounters. And the lore... and yeah, go ahead. Go. I was gonna say we've talked about this a lot, and they've gotten a lot better about it over the years. But for a long time, there was a lot of lore hidden in the raids, uh, and even I, I would say I want to say through Wrath, really. And we'll talk about that as we talk about some of the other ones, uh, including next week when we we cover uh, AQ. I think is going to be next on our docket, possibly the troll one. Un, unsure, we'll see. Um, but there was so much storytelling in those in those environment in those encounters and it really was something that was very important to experience at the time and we take a lot of that for granted now because we have a lot of of easy access to a lot of those those story elements they've also decoupled them to a certain extent uh where yes quests will lead you into dungeons and raids and things like that uh sure but nothing has ever been to me as integrated as the Black Dragonflight, really, with environmental storytelling in-game, in raids in particular, because everything about that place tells a story. When you're running through Blackwing Lair, and you're looking at what even what's against the walls, where you're just pulling... The giant the, centrifuges full of blood, the, the, the people doing experiments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the the racks where there are dragonoids strapped and di- being dissected. Um, the, most, there's the most annoying raid experience I've ever had ever is the suppression room yes i hate the suppression room but it is incredibly it is much part of the lore of the you get to see the the various black like the the black rock orcs wandering around casting spells on the whelps you get to see the suppressors all the different colors yeah all the different colors and it's just like wow this is crazy and it it is it is a horrible fight. I hate getting to that boss. Getting to, to I think it's Broodlord Lashlayer. Getting to him is a nightmare. It's especially a nightmare if you don't have any rogues because you uh, can disable which, them otherwise. Back then, yeah, back then the only ones that could disable or right click on them for temporary reprieve were rogues. Yeah. So there's just there is a lot to it, and and we we've, we've left a lot out. We didn't really get to talk about um, the Blackrock Spire mini raid at all, and it's very important to this, and and we barely touched it, uh, but. The, the the environmental storytelling of this content of this mountain just up to the point we've talked about was it was the it was basically up until AQ came out it was the show for Endgame it was Black Rock Mountain was the show because Molten Core is there Black Rock Descent is there which you need to do Molten Core Black you know Upper and Lower Black Rock Spire are there big deals for for anybody gearing up for Molten Core then there's Blackwing Lair when you get through that and it's all right there. It's like the the only place up until AQ, the only time you weren't in that mountain was if you were doing Ani to get the cloak to do that mountain. And it's it's the story is all there. 
it's like in the encounters itself. It really is a fascinating experience. I, I, I kind of feel bad that the only time like WoW Classic guys got to see it, it went so fast. Yeah. You didn't get to have that experience of working on it and, for months. And this is one of the, and, and, and I'm not going to beleaguer the point, and this is something that we'll probably talk about a little bit more as well. This is one of the distinctions that I, I hold between vanilla and classic. Classic has all sort of the modern advantages available to it, and as a result, um, you go through that content a whole lot quicker. We, we talk about the races and, and uh, for server first or whatever, or world first in classic now. They're way different than they used to be because everything used to be a little bit of a slog. And because of that, you got to experience more of that content and see more of it. When you're sitting in a room, and, and this is going to sound awful, but it makes sense in context, right? There are several points in time where you would move bosses, especially in Blackwing Lair, uh, between different areas where they would need to be. This is not an, an, an abnormal tactic. You would do this in Molten Core as well. Uh, there were uh, Baron Geddon and I can't remember the other one. Uh, yes. Sherazad? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You would move them into Gar's room because you could clear out Gar's room, clear out that boss, and then you'd have to pull them into it. So moving bosses around to control your environment was a big thing about that. And as a result, because not the entire raid would do it, you would be left with time to actually observe what was around you. So you would notice things like those beakers and centrifuges, like the experimentation centers, like the different elementalist uh, goblins that existed at this time. Because don't forget, goblins were not canonically shaman at this time. However, in Blackwing Lair, you could find them because they were doing things with elementium yeah, but, mm -hmm. and they were getting their start and that's so. how you learn to smelt elementium if you were trying to make this you know various items that's that's where you got the, the ability from blackwing lair mm -hmm. that's where you were taught to smelt it um by the way it was shazra talking about shazra thank you in and we were kind of running out of time here but one of the things that you want to mention is even in blackwing lair the three drakes they moved around yeah they had a patrol path like, and so you had to basically clear some trash, pull back, clear some more trash, pull back. You would try to clear the room when you got past Broodlord. You try to clear that room entirely. And it was a pain. Oh, my God, it was horrible. You'd clear that room, and then you'd fight two of those guys in that room. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, okay, we know exactly where we're going to put them. That's the kind of thing you don't see a lot of in, in modern raid design. There's very I don't I can't think of a fight that I've seen in a raid in a long time where you did that kind of thing it's been years since that that element has been brought into a fray that's something i would actually like to see come back but in terms of how the story was told blackwing lair uh kind of it acts as a capstone to everything you did up to that point mm -hmm. it's like if you look at the, the raid encounters and the way the lore of the raids went it's molten core anixia blackwing lair they lead to each other they're like all in a continuum that goes to this end point it's almost like that's those those raid encounters. That's the first act of World of Warcraft's Endgame. That's the first book, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And then the next book is Zolgarub and AQ, which I think is what we're probably going to end up talking about next week. Yeah, I think I think because that all ties together, and I think that's the next logical progression. So, but I think we are at our time, so I think we're going to have to call it here because I think Matt and I could probably wax poetic about, in particular, Blackwing Lair for even more hours and as much as i know you guys love that we you know we got to eat and do things uh but blizzard oh, watch uh, one oh, oh, go ahead. i do have to mention one thing ashkandi drops in black <laughs> okay move on 
<laughs> but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Again, if you have questions for the show, please feel free to send them in. We are still gathering them, and we will use them to take breaks in between the series of uh, raids and, and dungeon lore that discussion that we're going to be having, because there's a lot of them uh, over the course of the many years. So please send us our, your questions, and you can send them at podcast at blizzardwatch.com to specify if it's for the show or the other show. You can also send them to Discord. We have one for our Patreon supporters, and we do look there first as a way of saying thank you to those that continue to support us and make this a possibility for us to produce shows like this. Uh, and if you can't do that, and we understand, and you don't want to do the email, we do have a Q question section where we look as well. Uh, so please continue to send those in, and we'll get to them as we can get enough to get a show together. We'll give us a little bit of a reprieve between uh, just brain dumping on the raids. Uh, but Matt, anything you want to add before we part? I mean, aside from the fact that Ashkandi drops in Blackwing Lair, as I mean, my do we need anything else? I as, mean, come on. As is my second favorite uh, favorite bow, the Drake bow. But yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, there's actually a lot of going in there, but that's not lore related. <laughs> Ashkandi has lore, and it's it's very cool. But yeah, I think I think we're done. I think this, this is a good place to stop. There's there's actually more we could talk about, but like Joe said, we'd be here forever. So, but with that, we'll see oh, you guys. Time. I will nope. say that I will say this. Uh, we've got. If we do what we just said we're going to do and do ZG and AQ next time, that leads next as the last thing to talk about. That's two more episodes of, of lore just for classic, just for like original vanilla WoW. And that means we'd be moving on to the Burning Crusade. And the best raid ever designed. I would agree. Is in Burning Crusade. So we'll get there. And there's just a lot of lore to talk about there. It's worth thinking about what you'd like us to talk about. If in, you want us to narrow it, if you want us to narrow it down, please. Send it yeah, in as absolutely. Well. All right, but with that, folks, we'll see you next week. <laughs>